Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. I want to return to Exodus chapters 8 through 10 for just a few moments and I'm going to make a few comments that I hope will, will actually help prepare uh, or help us to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Now, you know, Exodus chapters 8 through 10, these chapters contain, we started talking about this last week, they contain the account of the plagues that God sent upon Pharaoh and that God sent upon the land of Egypt. He sent them as a prelude to his work of deliverance, his act of deliverance. Um, when he would deliver his people, the children of Israel, the, or the descendants of Israel. And you know that there are ten plagues. We went through those last week. I summarized them. Chapters 8, to, eight through 10 actually contain only the first nine of those plagues. But those first nine, remember, are kind of a prelude in themselves uh, to the final plague, which is the climax of this drama of deliverance that God is enacting in the land of Egypt and it's that final plague is is actually it comes to define how God saves his people and so we're going to take more time I'll deal with that plague individually separately but last week I summarized those um, the ten plagues we started talking about those uh, nine plagues we talked about their purpose what was the purpose uh, for the plagues and today I want to take just a few moments and I want to explore Pharaoh's reaction to to those plagues the first nine plagues generally follow a similar pattern and I kind of alluded to this last week as a similar pattern Moses appears to Pharaoh God sends Moses to Pharaoh so Moses appears to Pharaoh he announces what God is about to do um, if Pharaoh refuses, if he continues to refuse to let the people of Israel go. So Moses announces the plague. This is what God's going to do if you refuse to let my people go. And invariably, Pharaoh refuses, sometimes with a little bit of negotiation in between, but invariably he refuses to let the, children, uh, the people of Israel go. And so then what follows is the plague ensues, Right? God pours out the plague on Pharaoh and Egypt. And then Pharaoh, next, Pharaoh, sometimes anyways, uh, Pharaoh pleads with Moses. And then the plague abates. God withdraws the plague off of Pharaoh and Egypt. And then invariably, Pharaoh hardens his heart further against, against God and against Moses. So that process repeats with some variation, like I said, with some variation, but the result is always the same. Pharaoh's heart grows harder each time. Sometimes the text will say Pharaoh hardened his, his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Sometimes the text will say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the effect is always the same, and the progression is constant Pharaoh's heart grows harder and harder and harder with, with each plague. In fact, I, I hope that I've made it clear last week, and I hope that I've made it clear throughout this series already, that Pharaoh, remember, Pharaoh is not God's rival in this story. 
This is not God and Pharaoh fighting it out against one another. Because Pharaoh is not God's rival. God has, we sang about it this morning, God has no rival, amen? God has no equal. Therefore, this progression, again, is not about God getting his way uh, with Pharaoh because Pharaoh is powerless to prevent anything that God actually wants to do. So God is in control of this entire, entire thing. So Pharaoh is not God's rival, but God allows Pharaoh to have the illusion of control so that he might serve God's greater purpose for the plagues, which if you remember, we talked about that last week, which is to make the name of the Lord known so that you might know that I am the Lord and there's none like me. So that's God's greater purpose. And that becomes clear, very clear, by the seventh plague, which is hail. And so if you, if you have your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 9, I'm going to read just a few verses from Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse number 13. We're going to read down to about verse number 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. There it is. That's God's purpose in the plague so that you will know that I am the Lord. There is none like me like me in all of the earth. Verse 15, for by now I could have put you out, uh, I, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. What is God saying? You're not in control. By now, I could have done this long time ago. I'm in control. You're just my instrument. I'm using uh, you to make my name known. So I could have done this by now. You would have been cut off from the earth. But look at verse number 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. So God says to Pharaoh, so Pharaoh, listen, I want you to know by now I could have wiped you out. <laughs> uh, so you're not in control. Um, I'm doing this so that so that my name might be great, so that you might know that I am the Lord. And Pharaoh, here's your purpose. Here's your role in this purpose. Your role in my greater purpose is I have raised you up specifically so that I might show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. Not only was Pharaoh not God's rival, but God raised Pharaoh up for the very purpose that Pharaoh was serving. In other words, Pharaoh was the means by which God chose to display his power in all of the earth. Pharaoh uh, was an example that would serve as an effective illustration whenever Wherever the name of the Lord is proclaimed, Pharaoh would serve as an example, an illustration of God's power. So what do we learn from Pharaoh's example? What, what do we learn from Pharaoh? Well, several things. I want to just highlight a couple of them this morning, okay? I'm not going to 
try not, try not to take a lot of time to do this because I just want to mention a couple of them. First of all, here's one, the first thing that we learn from, ex, from Pharaoh's example, and that is that, number one, the heart of man is desperately wicked. That the heart of man is desperately... Pharaoh is very obviously the villain in this story, right? He's not God's rival, but he's the villain in this story. He is, he is arrogant, he is stubborn, and he is deceitful. And by the eighth plague, which is the plague of locusts, when God unleashes locusts on Pharaoh and Egypt, by the eighth plague, his heart is so hard in this progression, his heart is so hard that even his own advisors can't fathom Pharaoh's insistent refusal to Moses' demands. In fact, by the eighth plague, they're saying to him, how long, how long will this man be a snare to us? They say to Pharaoh, let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. And they say to Pharaoh, do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So by the eighth, by the eighth plague, they get it. They understand, okay. Uh, Yahweh, he is God. He is Lord. And they're coming to Pharaoh and saying, we don't understand. Why don't you get it yet? Why, why can't you see? Because it's obvious uh, to them. And even then, Pharaoh holds out. He refuses uh, to let the, the little ones, the children, go with the adults to worship. He says to, to Moses, he says, okay, listen, I'm going to let you go. Uh, but who are you going to take with you? And Moses says, well, we're going to go out, all of us. We're going to take the little ones, our, our livestock. And Moses says, no, 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 wait a minute. You can't take the little ones. You're not going to take the children with you. He holds, he holds out um, even to the very end. Consequently, the land by the eighth plague, the Bible says the land is utterly ruined by the locusts. And Pharaoh, actually, he feigns repentance at that time. The Bible says that hastily he calls Moses back and he says, listen, I have sinned. Listen to this. He said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. However, you kind of know the drill by now. Um, even after the locusts are gone, God in his mercy removes the locusts. Even after the locusts are gone, Pharaoh's heart is hardened still more. His heart continues to get harder and harder, and he does not. He refuses to let the people of Israel go. Such, here's the point that I'm making uh, this morning. Such irrational rebellion against God makes Pharaoh a good example of how wicked and how corrupt the human heart can become. Pharaoh is a good example of, of how irrational people can become in their rebellion against God and in their disbelief uh, toward him. The only problem with that, with that example, the example, it's a convincing example. The only problem with that example is that it may be difficult for us to see how our own hearts can become so hard and so indifferent to God. We've already talked about how a heart can become hard, how a heart is hardened before God. Specifically, we've talked about what the Bible means when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So I'm not going to 
I'm not going to go over all of that again this morning, but I do want to point out one thing, and that is that Pharaoh is not unique in this. Pharaoh is not, what I mean is that Pharaoh does not have a uniquely evil heart. Remember, God, God didn't create evil in Pharaoh's heart. He just let the evil that was already there run rampant. He withdrew his grace, his prevenient grace. So Pharaoh did, is not unique. He, he's not a super villain in the sense that he was created different than us or that he was a monster in some way. That's kind of how we usually think of supervillains, right? That somehow they're a monster. They're made into a monster somehow. They're different than us in, in some way. But the reality is, is that uh, Pharaoh's heart was not uniquely evil, even if it became thoroughly evil, completely wicked. In other words, he had a human heart. He had a heart just like ours. And his heart became completely corrupt as it was progressively hardened by his own sin and by his own pride. In other words... In other words, here's a lesson for us. This is the benefit of Pharaoh's example to us this morning. In other words, we have the same capacity to reject God and to refuse his commands. I mean, it's, we, each one of us have the same capacity to reject God and to refuse God. And we may not become the kind of villain that Pharaoh was but we have the capacity to because we have human hearts, hearts uh, that are bent toward sin. Pharaoh was like, again, Pharaoh was not a super villain. He was one of us. He was just like us, at least in that regard. He, he is an extreme example to be sure, but that's the point. That's the point that God's making here. God made him an example so that we might see what the sin that resides in the human heart, how it can tempt us to exalt ourselves against God and to reject him and to refuse his commands. And that's Pharaoh's fatal flaw. He, he refuses to repent of the sin that is in his own heart. Often he pleads for mercy. We've seen that. And you'll see that as you read through those plagues, often he pleads for mercy, but usually that's just a response to the consequences of his sins. And so when the frogs cover the land, he calls Moses back and says, please intercede, pray for me because we got to do something about these frogs. Or when the flies cover the land, please, can you do something? I'm sorry. Can you do something? But his uh, Pharaoh's sorrow never extends beyond the consequences of his own sin. His sorrow never extends to the cause of his own sinful heart. He never repents. He just pleads for mercy. Please do something about the consequences of my, my sins. And how many knows we tend to be like that also sometimes? That we're, sor made, we're saddened by the consequences uh, of our heart. Pharaoh never repented of his sin, even, even if he did plead for mercy occasionally. In fact, twice 
he does seem to confess his sin. We just read one of them uh, just a few moments ago. Twice he does seem to confess his sin, but both times he qualifies it. Um, Once during the seventh plague, hail, Pharaoh says to Moses, okay, this time, this is quote from Pharaoh, okay, this time I have sinned. This time I have, notice how he qualifies it? This time I said, I haven't sinned. What? You want to say, what about all of the other times, <laughs> Pharaoh? <laughs> and Moses, uh, but Pharaoh says, no, this time I may have gone too far. This time I sinned. And then after the eighth plague, which we just read, Pharaoh says to Moses, I have sinned. Forgive my sin, what? Only this once. Only this once. So you see, even when he's confessing his sin, he qualifies it before God. It's not that I'm sinful, it's that I sinned this one time. I made a mistake this one time. This one time, would you forgive me of this one mistake that I've made? Now, no doubt that was hard for an arrogant man to admit that he had sinned, but I think that you would agree with me this morning that it stops way short of actual repentance. Pharaoh never repents of his sin He just says, okay, this one time I sinned. Forgive me this one time, this once. Please forgive me. So it stops way short. In fact, Pharaoh never repents. What Pharaoh prefers to do is Pharaoh prefers to negotiate with God. And you see that throughout these uh, plagues several times. Several times Pharaoh tries to make a deal with God. Or Pharaoh tries to make a deal with Moses. It happens in the fourth plague with, with the flies, Pharaoh says, okay, I'm going to let you go, but how far are you going to go? And Pharaoh says, well, we've got to go to the wilderness. And he says, no, 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 don't go to the wilderness. Just stay within the land. Stay, remain right here. So what is he doing? He's negotiating with God. He does it after the eighth plague. Again, he says, okay, I'm going to let you go. Take the men, you guys, you go sacrifice, worship the Lord. And Moses says, well, we're going to take the children also. And Pharaoh says, no, 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 not the children. Leave the children, but you can go. What is he doing? He's negotiating with God, right? And then it happens again after the ninth plague. He says, okay, okay, go take your children, but only leave your livestock with it. Why would the livestock have been um, such a point is because all of their livestock were dead, right? Wiped out by that point. So Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, but leave your livestock. And Moses says, no, we got to take our livestock. So what Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh never repents. What he chooses to do is he tries to negotiate with God. Several times Pharaoh comes close to obeying God. He seems willing that he wants, he seems at some point he's willing to give God some of what God requires. But here's the thing, he is never willing to give God everything God requires. He's willing to say, okay, I'm sorry for this sin. I may have messed up this time, but he refuses to repent. Okay, God, I'll give you this much, but I'm gonna hold on to this as well. Pharaoh never repents. Pharaoh never, he's willing to negotiate with God, but he's not willing to surrender to God. He wants to make a deal because if he makes a deal, that gives him some control. He thinks he has some control and he wants control because what is really in his heart is he wants to cheat God. 
He wants to cheat. He wants, he wants salvation. He wants to, but he wants it on his terms. In fact, if you have your Bible still open to Exodus, flip back over to Exodus chapter 20, uh, Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. I'm going to read this um, about the plague of flies because it's revealing. Exodus chapter 8, verses 25, and this is the plague of flies when the flies cover the land. And so this is the point at which Pharaoh calls Moses back and asks for, um, and is willing to give him something. Verse 25, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right for us to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. And so Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. Plead for me. Verse 29, then Moses said, behold, I am going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only, listen to this verse, only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And so Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. You see, it's in, it's in Pharaoh's heart to cheat <laughs> on God's commands, to cheat on what God requires because he feels that gives him some measure of power and control. Malachi famously asks, will a man cheat God? Don't, don't worry, I'm not going to preach about tithing this morning, all right? <laughs> but the rhetorical answer to that question, will a man cheat God? The rhetor it's a rhetorical question. The answer is he sure will try, won't he? He sure will try. To, treat, to cheat God. But will a man cheat God? No. Do you think God knew that Pharaoh was going to not honor his word? Absolutely. He knew that. Will a man cheat God? He sure will try, but no man will ever successfully cheat God. No man will ever successfully cheat God. Pharaoh is an example of how sinful, how deceitful, and how wicked the human heart can become. And it's a warning. It's a warning to us about how, heart, how our own hearts, if we're not careful, our own hearts can grow hard when we're trying to cheat God uh, if, if we will not repent and surrender completely to God Almighty. Amen? Pharaoh is a good example of that. There's another thing that Pharaoh is a good example of. He's a, God said, I'm going to make you an example. He made, us, he made him an example of, of how desperately wicked the heart of man can be, can become. But there's another example that Pharaoh is good for, and that is Pharaoh is a good example that the mercy of God is long-suffering 
and kind. Aren't you thankful for that? That God is long-suffering and is kind. As I said, Pharaoh is not a rival to the Lord here. He is an example. And he is an example of how sinful and corrupt the human heart can become. But the other example that he provides us with is that he is, he is an example of how merciful and kind God is in his mercy and grace. Ironically, Pharaoh's pride and Pharaoh's refusal to repent actually highlights the long-suffering mercy of God. Because God, in spite of Pharaoh, God is patient. And time and time again, God relents when Pharaoh, quote, repents. God relents. He gives reprieve. Although he knows that Pharaoh is insincere and repeatedly he gives Pharaoh the opportunity to do the right thing. He gives him chance after chance after chance. Of course, Pharaoh hangs himself with those chances, but that doesn't diminish the measure of God's mercy and God's grace and his long-suffering. His, in fact, it actually highlights the fact that God is long-suffering and he's kind. And eventually, finally, God's judgment against Pharaoh serves as a, as a sharp relief against which he is able to display his mercy toward those who do repent and those who do surrender and those who do believe on, on the Lord. In fact, Paul highlights this very passage when he writes in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, Paul quotes Exodus chapter 9 when he says this. Let me read it for you. Paul says, what shall we then say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. So Paul concludes, and he says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You see, Paul is making the point there in Romans chapter 9 that salvation depends on God's grace and that God gives his grace freely to those who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that this morning? God gives his grace freely to whoever will repent and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the following verses in Romans chapter 9, Paul explains how, how we are only able to appreciate the full measure of God's mercy when we consider the severity of God's wrath. So God's wrath against Pharaoh highlights the mercy that he shows to Israel. The mercy that he shows even to some of the Egyptians. Paul says it this way, what if 
desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has it, that, uh, let me repeat that. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The wrath that God poured out on Pharaoh serves as an illustration of the grace, how great his grace is that he pours out on those who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The measure of God's mercy is only known by the severity of the wrath that he pours out on sin. I alluded to this last week when I said that God told Moses and Aaron that they would be able to tell their son, their grandsons about uh, what God did in Egypt specifically. He said, you'll be able to tell them how I treated Pharaoh harshly, how I treated the Egyptians harshly. That was, that was not so that Israel could rejoice in the harsh treatment that he gave to Egypt. In other words, he said, I want you to tell them how harshly I treated Pharaoh and Egypt, not so that you can say, yay, God really gave it to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. Now he said, I want you to tell them how harshly I treated them so that you will appreciate the mercy and the grace that I have shown to you. Everybody get that this morning? So the severity of God's wrath on Pharaoh and Egypt just highlights the amazing grace that he has poured out on you and on me. He showed them mercy. He showed, he showed us mercy. Not only did he show mercy to the people of Israel, but the reality is, is he showed mercy to Pharaoh. We've talked about that. He showed mercy to the Egyptians also. In fact, um, during the seventh plague, God made provision for the Egyptians to be spared. That was the, um, the plague of hail. And he said to the Egyptians, hey, if you hear my word and you obey my word, then get your livestock in and they'll be spared. So the Egyptians, the Bible says that the Egyptians, who by now knew he is Lord, he's God, <laughs> and they believed the word of Moses. So when they heard the word, the Egyptians that believed Moses and believed in God, it says they took their livestock and they put them in protection, right? And so they were spared from the effects of the plague. So God shows mercy not only to his people Israel, but he shows mercy to the Egyptians, and God has shown mercy to us also. We who are not his people, we who are not chosen at first by him, although we are Gentiles, or at least most of us are Gentiles, he has made provision for us that we can call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Can you say praise the Lord this morning? Skeptics like to say this. We got to, I'm going to wrap up. Skeptics like to say a good God will never send 
anyone to hell. But friends, that's not, that's not a good God. That's not a good God. Would you, call, would you call any king or any president, any government or any judge, would you call them good who failed to punish those who do evil? Of course not. God's goodness requires that he be just and that he punish sin and that he punish wickedness, that he judges those who are evil. But in turn, the certainty and the severity of God's justice serves to enhance the goodness and the kindness and the graciousness of God's mercy when he makes it possible for us to escape the wrath that has been stored up for those who deserve wrath. And I made that point last week. I'll make it again this, this morning. That's where we're at. We have received God's mercy, God's grace. Although we deserve wrath, we have received God's mercy and God's grace. I'm going to ask, Mike, would you come to the piano? And uh, I'm going to ask the uh, folks that are helping us to serve communion if they'll come in just one moment. Mike, if you'll begin to play. The Bible tells us very plainly that the punishment that we deserved, the wrath that we deserved because of our, because of our sin and because of our disobedience, the Bible says that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ, that he became sin, who knew no sin. Now, he wasn't like Pharaoh because he was perfect. He knew no sin. But he who knew no sin became sin. And God, come ahead. Uh, thank you. And God poured out his wrath upon him who knew no sin so that we <laughs> might receive grace and mercy and atonement. And that's what these elements represent this morning. The, the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that God's word says was broken for you and for me. He endured God's wrath on the cross so that we could experience God's mercy in our life. His blood was shed. His blood was poured out for us so that we who don't we don't deserve to have our sins forgiven. But his blood was shed so that we could receive forgiveness for our sins. Aren't you thankful? Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play App Store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.